Hi, Kurt. How are you? Uh, I'm well. I'm well. <laughs> Am I looking at your new Upper East Side digs? You aren't. You're looking there they're, because I only have one idea of how to make offices and libraries. Uh, you could be practically, but no, this is this is our older, my older Connecticut digs. Oh, okay, okay. And what happened to your your uh, home in Brooklyn? You sold it. Yep. Okay. All right. How you liking life in the city? Uh, nothing but nice. Nothing but good. I mean, uh, you know, um, are we on? Are are you recording this to to to, to give to the world? Yes, I am. Okay, so I won't say unkind things about anyone. It's great. It's it's you know. I mean, I was as as you know. I mean, I was well. I was sort of surprised that we ended, slightly surprised. Although I wanted to move to Manhattan, we moved to Manhattan. But I was very surprised that we moved to the neighborhood we did on East Seventy Fifth Street, and uh, it's all great. And and you know, I mean, being coddled by doormen, which. I never thought of it as a as a coddling experience, mm -hmm. but to me it is. And uh, you know, guys running out to help you with your luggage. I mean, it's yeah. it's nutty and and great. And and it's and it's a beautiful neighborhood, and we can walk to the park and you know walk around for a couple miles anytime we want. It's great. Okay, right on. I you when I first met you, you struck me as like the extreme Brooklynite, not a disdain for Manhattan, but. You know, kind of like everybody that lives in Brooklyn. They like I would never live anywhere but Brooklyn. Like there is a disdain towards people that live in Manhattan, as if we, you know, we're all trying too hard. Yeah. Well, I'm trying. I'm. Ha I mean, I I never thought of myself as that exactly, but I get you. And you know, we were there for 33 years, relatively early for people like us yeah. to have to have been there. Uh, and uh, but no, I I, I mean, it's it's uh, like. It, it, it sort of, it, it is really like moving to a different city, but of course, one that I'm familiar with and right. spent time, I mean, all the time and everything else. But it is like moving, it's, it's just as much of a move to a different city as I feel like doing right now, well, frankly, which is, which is to say I'm pathetic. I'm surprised you went for the Upper East Side. I know it's kind of transformed and people are, you know. No, kind of no, it isn't. It's, it's, it's the same. Well, what's true is that it's, there are many, many, many fewer people of the stereotypical Upper East Side kind. Okay. I think than there used to be. Or I've become more like them and therefore I don't notice them. But no, I think it's there are fewer of them. And and especially I think probably post with COVID, there's lots lots less dressing up. So nobody looks different than anyone else particularly. Okay. Uh so uh you know no it hasn't I mean it hasn't changed that much. No. What I, what I did realize is that I carried with me a kind of bias, a bigotry against the Upper East Side, and that, that I had since I moved to New York when I was, you know, twenty two years old, which, you know, uh, and and which which meant, and you know, which had it had its perfectly legitimate <laughs> reasons, but I realized it it prevented me from uh, realizing how beautiful physically so much of it is. And and because uh, oh these are just fucking millionaires billionaires who live here I don't ooh right, right. I can't like this it was part of it and and even more and more stupidly I realized as soon as we moved there I, it didn't allow me to fully enjoy Central Park I know that sounds stupid but it was mm. true no now I, I do see what you're saying I mean I've yeah I've always had the disdain but then it always struck me 
Yeah, you had the Park Avenue, the Fifth Avenue, that kind of Leona Helmsley town, right? The Dalton. But then you had Third Avenue, Second Avenue, First Avenue was kind of like, are we in Westchester? Like it suddenly got weird. In a well, exactly. And therefore, what we discovered, not, I mean, I always thought, to your point, I always thought Lexington Avenue up there, well, pretty nice. Lexington Avenue is like old fashioned New York. It hasn't changed that much. It's not that fancy. Like zero fashion. Yeah, all that. And I thought, oh, that's pretty nice. So I, I I discovered the for my personal combination of tastes and sensibility, the livable the most livable part is where we ended up being, which is this corridor effectively. Right. You know, between between I mean not a court, yeah, it's it's between Park and Lex. Yeah. A little a little east of Lex before you get to third. But unfortunately, third and second and first get ugly. They get and, ugly. They get grimy and, and, without and, any payoff. Yeah, exactly. Not even edgy. It's just like gross. And completely. Yeah. And and so so we live between Park and Lex, and and it's nice. There's there's Lex, which is you know small d democratic and kind of mm -hmm. early burly and nice and old fashioned ish. And there's Park, which is grand and wonderful. And it's like there we are, right 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 on the edge uh, of of these two things. And and uh, I don't know. It it it. I'm I'm. I'm uh, I'm pleased. I'm yeah. happy, and uh, I feel like nice. that area is probably when I say authentic, it's always tricky. But you know, when I was living in the West Village, it was all you know Sarah Jessica Parker and then finance bros. Like there's right. nothing in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Right. People that now make a million dollars but lived in Ohio last week, and then people that have been there forever because they can you know afford it. But it was still pretty. I mean, it's still pretty. Right. Pretty. No, that's true. No, and and that's the other thing about. You know where you live being a signifier of a certain thing. Oh, I live in the village. That means this, right? In mm -hmm. Tribeca, that means this. I live in Brooklyn. That means this. Well, once we started thinking about, okay, we're going to move. We're going to sell this house. Where we're going to live. Hey, I start, I realized. Well, I'm too old to even care what people think about the what it means that I live X, Y, or yes. Z place. But even more, or 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 also, I realized there are just as many rich assholes everywhere. It, everywhere, basically, certainly in Brooklyn at this point, and and as many as many as wonderful people. Uh, that are, you know, I'm not saying everybody's a rich asshole in Brooklyn, but there are plenty of them. Right. And uh, you know, so uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, and the thing, I mean, the thing is not unlike the village. I mean, there, there are bits, and like the building we happen to live in is full of, you know, just people, frankly, old people. Uh, who've who've lived there a long time and aren't particularly rich or anything right. or or Does you know work you in finance or anything Does like that. that like nice effect of making you feel young because you're like wow everybody here's well, ancient. yes okay. and and what I realized is not, these buildings with dormant and effectively the entire the entire Arab East Side is is, is uh, well there's 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 a new term of art in I don't know sociology demography called the NORC. Which stands for national, natural, naturally occurring retirement community. Mm. It's just all old people, and and like yeah, and we're like at the lower end of that. So yeah, great. <laughs> Do you have more, you're meeting your neighbors? Do you have like friends? Or you're not there yet. Uh, will we ever be there? I mean, meet them enough, you know, see them in the lobby, occasionally take the elevator with them, and that's fine. I mean, maybe, well, not yet, but but there's a guy who's a, a writer at the New York Times who has the next next door apartment. Oh, so, like, right you know, hi. <laughs> you know, you? Um, upper retirement fellow community member. Uh, he's probably he's 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 still writing for the New York Times, but uh, you know, he's he's not young. 
people all the time, and this has always been true. Again, it's not because I'm old and losing my memory. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, people all the time you, you, that I've worked with or whatever, not even necessarily worked with, say, you know, you once said this thing to me. And I, I almost feel like writing it down because I never have any memory of it. Yeah. But they always like it's often like, well, that that makes sense, or that's funny, or whatever it is I said. I go like, wow, I, I got to start recording these. <laughs> kind of scares me to the extent, like how little I memory I have of various experiences that other people remember. And I'm like, it's not dementia, but is it because I've been so peripatetic that you know, or met so many d people that I don't have recollections of specific experiences? People that kind of have a routine lifestyle tend to remember more. I mean, I remember things from high school, but there's like years and years. And it's this number of experiences I, re you know, I remember from my time in LA, like it's, it's all very disturbingly like few. <laughs> well, and, and, and you think that because other people remind you of something you can't remember, or you just realize there are big gaps in your memory? Both. I think both. Oh. Like people go, remember when we were in London and we had to climb through a window because we couldn't get in it. And I'm not a drink. It's not because I was drinking. Like, I'm not a substance person at all. There's like nothing. I'm like, I literally, you know, I drink like coffee and I get like, people think I'm on cocaine. Like, I'm really not a substance person. But um, it disturbs me. And I'm like, wow, I really huh. have zero recollection of this. Well, but, but, but. You know, you've written a memoir, yes. for instance. Don't you find? Do you not find when you start writing, especially I would think a memoir, well, almost any long thing. I, f I find it when I when I'm, I'm now working on a novel, and I find, you know, even though it's not particularly autobiographical at all, um, I find just going to that part of my brain that is about writing long prose or book actually summons up of memories, even though I, like you, all often feel like I have no fucking memory of anything. And everybody else seems to remember more stuff about their past than I do. And I, I, I don't. But then then I, I, I have these moments as I am having right now, but yes. not literally right now, but in general, these last weeks of like, wow, you know, of, of, of you know, a little a little uh, recherching, recherching of Tons Perdue um, about my own uh, past, you know? I think, yes and no, I think I've been dealing, it dawned on me recently. So I had, you know, I think you know that I was, I've been dealing with trauma of my, you know, my mom had a stroke and dementia, right? And so like immediate onset dementia. And so for the last year and a half, my life has been alarmingly repetitive uh, as a caregiver. And the conversations with her literally repeat themselves every day. Like every day I have the same exact conversation, which is yeah. kind of mind numbing. Yeah. And I don't know if that has an effect. You know what I mean? I think that obviously, and I, I didn't realize to what extent I had trauma as a child and I had trauma again when my brother died, that when you have trauma as a child, it does affect your, your capability to memory, you know, remember not just the trauma, that's not the issue. You actually remember that, but yeah. I think your ability to acquire new memories gets affected. And so huh. memory kind of gets fragmented. And what your brain chooses to remember or not is kind of, it, it's disjointed. And it didn't yeah. hit me. And I go, why do I have, you know, a problem acquiring certain new memories and other things I remember distinctly? And it might be emotional memories, I think I remember more. And then memories that are not associated with too much um, emotion are harder for me to retain, huh. maybe. But this you... is my theory on memory. No, it sounds plausible. Speaking of memory, a thing that has occurred to me sometimes, of course, and it's duh, duh but how I always hope, again, 
it's not about dementia or getting old, but what it's about is is well famous people, certain famous people, especially because I guess they talk to so many people or they're right, whatever they're famous people. They 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 uh, they forget. They repeat that they say the same thing to one because they're performing. Yes, a lot. You know, even when they're just with you, they're just they're just. Let me say, tell that story yes. again. You know, yes. and 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 I find that more true of famous people than and famous famous you know actory people mm-hmm. than uh, than just normies. I think so. I think. Uh... I mean, I know that when I'm, you know, I do, I do press for a certain thing and you get asked the same questions at some point, you just have the same answers. And usually it's an anecdote, you know what I mean? And there's the anecdote sure. again. And I'm like, are people going to read the three different papers? I hope not, because it's pretty much the same interview. <laughs> they could just copy paste. But I think that um, I always feel uncomfortable talking to mega celebrities only because they have no interest in me. And then it becomes a very odd one-sided trying to make small talk conversation with them when they could care. You know what I mean? And I think they're guarded because there's always an agenda. It's very hard to have a real grounded, you know, because if it's a real grounded conversation, you know that, you know, that they're worried that you're probably going to talk about it to somebody else. You know, they don't know. Yeah. So it becomes yeah. a very weird existence. Yes, it does. And no, and, and again, I mean, it's, you know, I, 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 that's why I think I and one admires very famous people who are, you know, s- seem sane once you get to know them a bit, like more than other people. I mean, most people are seem sane. So, but, but when these people can, for all of the reasons and ways they can go nuts, yeah. don't, I'm always like, oh, Tom Hanks, you're, you're amazing. You know, he's a mensch. He looks like yeah. a mensch. And that he is that. Yes. But just wow, he, there there's some whatever combination of good upbringing or luck mm-hmm. or will that makes them not be cuckoo. I think that if you're starting out with someone who's a narcissist and then they could get it fed, you know, that's one type. And then others that I yeah, I mean I've met like Ron Howard again another menschy menschy guy and then yeah i mean I, I i feel bad fame does seem like you look you interviewed a lot of famous people when you were doing um studio 360 right or in yeah, general in yeah. i feel like you've met a lot of interesting people um did you feel a need to tap into a more vulnerable place in them or was it more about the art and it become kind of an intellectual exercise mm-hmm. as opposed to like tell me about your wounds no i mean i did try to do that i mean and again because i would usually talk to people or try to talk to them for an hour that was the standard mm-hmm. what time that's a long time to talk right yeah and 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 i also tried and therefore you can't just be you know next question uh how was it growing up in chattanooga i mean you know i mean it, you know so so i did try to have you know i don't know about finding areas of vulnerability but but i did to your point about like oh how many times have i said this same thing, anecdote to these interviewers I read a lot of stuff just to see what they had answered, what what the questions that everybody asks these yes. people are, and tried either to ask it differently or not ask it at all, you know, just so there was more time and and possibility of, of you know, without saying, like, what kind of trub would you be um, uh, <laughs> to, to get something different? And, uh, and, 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 and just, frankly, try to, try to, for, you know, form a bit of a relationship. I realized at some point, and 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 Anne 
my wife, when I said this to her, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe I said, I realized what, what the, what this requires. She said, don't ever say that publicly, but, uh, which is, she said, I, it's like, they're all like first dates. Mm-hmm. They're all like, you're trying to, you're trying, you know, but first dates where you're not just trying to impress the person, although that, but where you're trying to see if there's something here and, and we can have, you know, and, and, real. you know, when you're trying hard, you're trying to be charming and you want them to be charming and attractive and, you know, uh, so I, I realized that sort of was that became I mean, it already had become and then it became a conscious thing of of of, of what, you know, interview my interviewing approach was like. And since I hadn't been on a first date in, you know, now, you know, 40 odd years, uh, it was it was the closest I ever got. You know, I think tell me if you agree. I feel like the landscape has changed when celebrities feel a need to overshare um, on social media, right, to connect and so-called be real, um, that, you know, the authenticity has become its own mode of performance, obviously, but they are sharing windows into their personal lives a lot more than they used to, right, when they're posting from their bathroom or after a miscarriage or, you know, a lot, to, which I do commend as brave and, you know, taking away the gloss of celebrity and, and all that. But I wonder, my friend actually, um, who's an actor, said that it's becoming harder and harder to believe actors on screen because they, they share their emotional, they become emotionally vulnerable on social media, but don't become emotionally vulnerable on film, like where they're supposed to, like, you know, actually, like, it becomes, you know, as opposed to, like, save it, save the internal strife for your work, as opposed to sharing it with everybody, and then we don't know what we're looking at. Does that make sense? I don't know. I don't know what you yeah, think. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a whole interesting set of things that some someone in your profession, in one of your professions, yeah. could write a book about, which is, like, it, it does that thing, I'm sure. But then it also, I mean, well, I mean, does it, does it, could it do this thing where, oh, somebody is typecast as this. That's all they play. That's all they get. They only get these roles. But then in their public, you know, social media or whatever right. persona, you see that, oh, they're not that at all. They're not that at all. Does that then, like, I don't know, change the public perception such that, oh, they're no longer going to be cast as the killer. They can now be cast as the funny guy. Or, you know, it, it can work in various ways that You're are right. interesting yeah, because we've never cast. But, yeah. you know, I guess it does get hard when people know the inner workings of your last GI exam. Is that going to affect them, you know, kind of that suspension of disbelief when they're watching you in a role? I don't know. Maybe for me, I don't maybe either. today's, you know, audience is so savvy about that, that you know, that muscle. Um, but I get tired of the overshoot. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to connect to performers in that way. When performers are becoming activists or role or, you know, or again, I think that there is a good, to, you know, I think when Amy Schumer, you know, shares the horrors of her pregnancy, I think that's a good, I think that's very cool. You know, I think then again, people talk about their personal lives and their work and solo shows, you know, I've done it many times. So confessionals and tests, that's nothing new, but it's gotten to the minutia, right? I mean, what did I have for breakfast this morning? So if people find that interesting, God bless them. <laughs> but yeah. performers feel well, like you to your, but, but the point is it, it should be artful and, 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 pick your shots and don't just like, look at me, you know? I mean, speaking of one person shows, we just saw, I don't know if you've seen it or, or know him or know of him, Mike Birbiglia's. Oh, of course I know Mike. Yeah. Mike came to see Die years ago. 
And then I saw the one sleep sleepwalk with me, I think. Yeah. Um, that was the last. Right. One exactly. Now he's got he's got a new one or okay. it just closed. Yes, yeah, so it just closed at Lincoln it? Center and has a callback to come sleepwalk with me. And it's fantastic. And and I know him a little bit and I did a little bit of work with him a couple of years ago. And he's, he's a great guy. Speaking of mensch, great menschy guy, but like, man, that's so good. And, you know, personal, obviously, uh, that's his stock and trade is making, you know, uh, comedy, but also deep meaning out of his personal life. And uh, it was so good. Oh, well, and it's on Broadway now, right? It was on, it was at Lincoln Center. I don't know if he's going to, and he's been doing it around versions of it around the country for, you know, a year. Uh, I, I don't know if he'll. Very he, prolific guy. Very, he, very prolific. He, he, he's a very busy guy. Yeah. And he does have, it takes a lot of acting work too. No, he's, he's really good. And I didn't know until a mutual friend of ours told me that he, uh, and I'm probably, this has been reported. I just hadn't seen it, but um, that he, for for every every performance when he's doing this around the country for a year, he, he would tape and 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 go over it second by second and make tiny even even in the last months, just keep tweaking, keep tweaking, keep tweaking, which it just it bespeaks a kind of uh rigor that isn't like, oh, he's just a comedian. He'll just, you know. Right. And and you must have, I mean, a feeling about that being a comedian as well as an actor as well as a one man one person shower uh yeah i mean i think certain comedians their forte is really i mean obviously there are a lot of comedians that everything is perfected down to the last word and rhythm but it seems off the cuff right that's the skill um you're like oh i guess that was that joke wasn't planned and of course it was um but other comics are really good at at doing stuff off the cuff like if I'm telling a story, storytelling, I can do that. But when I do stand up, uh, that's not my forte. You know, sometimes I'll, I like in terms of crowd work, I'm not I'm not great with crowd work. Certain people have those plot, you know, those kind of retorts off the cuff and can wing it. <laughs> you know, I just did um, I just did stand up in London, and I did it as Ray Lynn. Last time I did stand up in London, I did it as me, and it was great. I killed. It was wonderful. I was like, this is amazing. And then I said, to, I challenged myself. I said, you know what? Do some crowd work. And they thought Ray was real. They did not think Ray was a character, which I thought, <laughs> I thought was interesting. Really? You came out as Ray Lynn? I came out as Ray Lynn. And one guy came up to me going, I'm from Texas. Hey, well, you know, fellow Southerner. And I was like, hmm. Because <laughs> um, it's so clearly like such a ridiculous character. But I was trying to improvise this guy in the front row. I'm like, where are you from? And he's like, Ireland. And I'm like, well, you're not a ginger. Uh, what What is black Irish anyway? And then he looked at me and he goes, I don't know. And I was like, and he was being sincere. And I'm like, I thought black Irish was a, a thing. So I'm trying like, oh, I guess you're not African-American. Like it just went. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, if they don't, I mean, I, I would have gotten that because black Irish is a thing I know of too. But if he didn't, man, you're fucked. didn't know what I was referring to. And I, I thought that was a, people used to think I was black Irish. It doesn't mean you're black. Like I was like, it's not that you're black, but I'm like, we're going down a road that the audience is not engaged in. So I'm going to stop now. Um, but then I picked up with, I made fun of um, Almodovar films and that killed. I do this. Oh, sort of like Really? You know. I, well, but that sounds like a room you can't be too smart for in that case. Well, I think it was just, there were a couple, there were a lot of Spanish, a lot of Europeans uh, in London, you know, visiting or whatever. But I talk about how they're always whispering like, so many of them no matter what the scene is. And they all enjoyed that tremendously. 
yeah. which was nice. Um, but we're, uh, sorry, I, every noise I hear outside. So for those that don't know, I have a neighbor that had, that accosted me two months ago and the other day pounded down my door and it was kind of terrifying and I couldn't find pepper spray. I went to the drugstore and I'm like, do you guys have pepper spray? And she's like, no, go to the self-defense store. I'm like, well, where the fuck is the self-defense store? It's called Ricochet. Okay. The store is called Ricochet. She had no idea where it was. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'll find it another day. Um, wow. Well, I, I I think of Israel as a place where there'd be pepper spray like available everywhere. Right by the falafel. There, there's falafel. and Yeah. Pepper. And guns. And, you know. Yes. Yeah. But no, only at Ricochet. Huh. Only at Ricochet, which I thought was just, yeah, it was just an odd. Uh, yeah. That, that, that's like a, it, it, so that's in English. It's called that. Yeah, ricochet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, every time I hear someone up the stairs, I'm like, is he going to come pound on the door again? I'm well, ready, man. I maybe that'll calls. become that'll become a, just a, a thing in the, in your podcast, and event and people will be waiting for it, and and eventually, it's 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 scary having like a rabid dog, you know, like living directly underneath you. You know what I mean? It's how like old of a the person? Street. It's just like literally underneath. So I'm like, this. How is old cool. of a guy? He's probably in his like mid fifties. He lives with his mom, who's about a thousand. Um, but he's mentally ill and he he has a record. And so I'm like, why is this guy still living in the building? Like the previous tenant uh, moved out because of him. I was not privy to this information when I moved in. And I really don't know what to do. It's kind of this debate, you know. Uh, I, I took a, a, a small uh, butter knife with me yesterday and I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to protect myself. Because I, I don't have any sharp knives at home for some, all my knives are bad. All my knives are bad. I need to buy like an expensive set of like sushi knives. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, I literally came out with like a little butter knife. I'm like, I'm just going to smack him on the cheek. If he gets here. Has, has he, has he threatened you beyond the one time or. Well, this was like, no, he, he knocked a lot many times. And then he really threatened me. Like he almost pushed me down the stairs. He was screaming at me and saying, he was like, you know, this is the last time I'm going to get you. Like it was, you know, and he was right in my face and I was like, get away, get away. And luckily there were some people on the street that were there because the stairs to my building are outside the building. Um, but the other, the banging the other day was like, what the, like, my... Is it always, uh, it's noise provoked? Well, no, I was literally, well, the one time he lost it, I was literally on the sofa typing on my laptop. So I don't, <laughs> I feel like it's not related to actual noise. Uh, he took, I was washing my floors the last time he freaked out and it was like 8 p.m. And he lost it. That's when he, you know, was going to shove me down the stairs. And so I have stopped washing my floors. So it doesn't seem like a way to live. Oh, this is a real problem. Um, and is his mother too out of it to like say talk so. say talk some sense into your kid? Yeah, yeah, no, no. She's she sits there with her caregiver. You know, and I'm very nice to her. But I did run into him today, and I said, "I'm going to try and defuse the situation because what am I going to get angry like you asked? Like it doesn't work with these you know people." And I I saw him on the street, and I was like, "Hi." <laughs> I was very. I was almost like. Hi, I've been trying really hard to be quiet. I haven't washed my floors in two months. And he just kind of stared at me. And I go, you know, we're walking on eggshells here. So I really don't know what to do. Um, and he denied banging down the door the other night, but I know it was him. Um, and I said, my son doesn't even practice piano, which he's happy about. But we're literally just trying to be silent. And it's very awkward. And he goes, oh, yeah, uh, you can practice piano. And then he kind of just walked off. Like, it wasn't a very meaningful exchange. But I felt good about it. I want you to move. Okay. 
I do. I, do. I don't like the sound of this character. I, know. I do too. I do too. It's not a great situation. I'm, I'm installing cameras, but uh, I love this. So they'll have a camera of your murder. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm, right. I'm, you're right. Um, you know, I just really love this apartment and it's unfortunate. Really? Okay. I really love the apartment. It's, it's very hard to find great apartments. This don't, don't mind. There's, there's like a, you know, there's a David Hockney under this. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a really wonderful apartment. It's an old Bauhaus building. Um, really? Technically wow. designed. Yeah. I'm literally, I, I kind of created That's how I think of uh, at its best Tel Aviv. Yeah. It was really, it's really a wonderful, and it's got a terrace that surrounds the entire apartment and the streets, a beautiful little quiet street and the location's perfect. And it's really, and it's got light from every direction. So the sunlight streaming in the afternoon and in the morning, like it really is. And I looked at a lot of apartments and the, the rents here are insane. Like the rents are worse than New York. Huh. Um, Tel Aviv was voted the most expensive city on earth last year. Really? Yeah. Huh. So, and we make no money. Like no one makes any money here except the tech people. Tech people always make money, but artists are, no one's making any money. Huh. Um, yeah. We, um, we watched the first episode of the new season of Fauda last night oh, and, at the end, and, and said, why, don't, why doesn't Reese have a role in Fauda? <laughs> I said, well, there are a lot that's of actresses. That's a good question. I should have asked him, but uh, I yeah. met that guy um, a, a few times, the, the lead, um, who's yeah. a very nice guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know where they would put me. I mean, they have like, usually the women are allocated to either, what is it, the, you know, the tough woman at, at headquarters. Yeah, right. there's, not there's, a, there's a few uh, miscellaneous kind of girlfriends, wives of the, the dudes. <laughs> the one who brings the casserole or the one who's like, get him, get the coordinates, <laughs> right? That's literally all they do. Like, yes. where, are where are you, Gabby? Yes. Where are you, you there? Get him, report. Like, it's 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 like one of those, know. you know, NCISs no. or whatever. Just true. Um, did you see me on Night Court? It was it was brief, but fun. I have not. Okay. I've not. Are you on the premiere on the first episode the of the pilot. new one? I'm in the pilot. Yeah. Huh. I booked that while I had COVID. Um, I was supposed to play like this wacky psychic, you know, fraudulent psychic chick. That's and even I really looked the part. I mean, I looked like shit and I was exhausted and I was really, I had COVID really bad. I was like talking, I had to talk like this. And I really, I sounded like Fran Lebowitz on a bad day. Do you know what I mean? I was like, what are we doing? Um, but I got it. I booked it. So that was nice. And has that aired? That's aired? Yeah, that's aired. Yeah, you can uh, huh. stream it on Peacock. Well, we, we will. Uh, and uh, John LaRoquette is, is in it again, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I got to cool. say, um, the lead, Melissa Rausch, who was in Big Bang Theory, which you know I was in, and then they recast me with the two dudes. Um, yeah. Really? You were playing one of those roles? Yeah. Yeah, that was me. That was me. And then suddenly they read huh. the, the pilot, and there were two guys. Huh. Huh. <laughs> Oh, I didn't realize you were man. That would have but, that would have been an alternate career path. It would an alternate life path, I think. Yeah, really. But Melissa Roush, the lead, I have never met a nicer person in this industry. Like, and I'm huh. not being like this is not hyperbole. The sweetest, kindest. I mean, unreal. Well, she was incredibly nice about you in, in this article I read in Glamour magazine. Yes, yes, that too. I mean, and for no, you know, like, not, you know, I'm a nice person, but really just complimentary and generous and sweet. And you can see how she treats everyone. And I'm like, there we go. This is someone who, you know, but genuinely nice person. And her brother is a sweetheart. Her brother came to see my show in New York, the one that you and Ann saw about my mom. He came like really just delightful human. So it's nice when people like that do very well. 
Well, that's interesting, the siblings, because I often think, it's not always true, obviously, but I often, I often, having children especially, attribute like really like well put together, decent people to like a good upbringing. Now, it's not always true. And sometimes they had a terrible upbringing that they overcame. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people, you know, but, but, but I, it, I don't know. And, and obviously parents can, you know, it, there's a lot of blank slate yes. nature as well as nurture, but I do think a certain kind of basic fairness, straightforwardness, niceness is, in, is, 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 can be a parental legacy. I think, I mean, I think so. I don't know. I'm torn about that. Yeah. Well, I am too. I think, I don't know what comes naturally or, or, you know, certain people are just innately nice. Uh, Yeah. Certain people are codependently nice. You know, the people pleasers that comes from its own, you know, which I suffer from at times, but I'm actually a a nice person in general, but you know, I've, I've had that kind of people pleasing tendency over the years and you know, don't want to confront. um, Right you know, fear of confrontation, but, but I, I'm a genuinely good person. I think I'm an extreme empath. So I think that, but you're right. I think, you know, certain people there, there's a decency, but also I think, um, humble. I think it really comes yes. down to being humble and yes. like not ego based. And that probably is a combo pack, right? I think that's upbringing. And, yes. Um, well, and along with humility, uh, 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 an adjacent thing is, is, you know, that much of what we get, if we if we succeed, yeah, sure, we worked hard. Yeah, sure, we're the. Yeah, sure, we have talent. Blah, blah, blah. But so much is luck, and so much is based on you know the way that coin flipped one day or not. You know, and 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 people, there are people who basically deny that. I was interviewing some guy once. I remember a guy, a, a successful guy, and you know, an interesting guy and a smart guy and everything. But I said, man. You've had a, you've really been lucky, and he and he really took umbrage. No, it's all me. I did it all. Eh, you know, sure, okay. Yeah, I think I, I, I object. I mean, you know, I mean, people should be feel lucky and and humble and be grateful when it goes well. You know, I think so. You're right. What was that saying? There's that famous saying that with training, I guess. Then you know, once you get luck, then you'll be ready, right? Like. You know, I've had lucky breaks early on when I wasn't ready and sabotaged them. Um, yes. But I, I don't know. I think that if someone works really hard and then people say you're lucky, that can piss them off. I mean, I think. I, I get that. And, and, I and I, had I, a lot I, of I, yes. in this industry, but not in a victim way. Just I haven't, you know, I've, but I've had, uh, I work my ass off. And, sure. You no, know, you, you need the opportunities. Like I think with Curb, let's say. So I remember Curb, I almost didn't get that audition. My agent didn't submit me for it. My commercial agent, who I rarely spoke to, called me and said, I just saw a breakdown for this role on Curb that you'd be perfect for. And so at that point, I called my manager and I said, can you get me in for this? And I was shooting a commercial the next day. And he said, well, they're only seeing people tomorrow. And I usually never push. I'm always like, okay. And I said, well, can you see if they can get me in today? And he called and they got me in and I got the part that day. they they canceled the other auditions and Larry even talked about that, which I, you know, was very proud of. I was like, oh, yeah. God, they saw me and they just canceled everything afterwards because that never happens yeah. either. But if I hadn't been that nudgy, but I think how many times did I not do that? And how many things, right. you know, but you can't think that way. Like the Big Bang Theory. Hello. Like <laughs> I, yes. I got the, did the pilot that I didn't get. That was it. It's like. No, exactly. 
And, you know, and the thing is, yes, I, I yeah, you, you, one is who one is. And yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, again, there are sometimes reasons to have regret and I understand regrets, but basically it's a, it's a, it's a, that way lies madness to just. Yeah, exactly. Obsess. I don't think even with, with, you know, people go, didn't that drive you crazy that you, you know, you, you, you lost big bank. I'm like, no, cause I ended up doing die and I, you know, my life and I have my kid, like life would have been very different. Like you can't think that way. Like you literally would go crazy. I mean, you know, yes. Um, yes. the number of, you know, relationships I sabotage. Good God, man. Could have had 40 kids and lived on a boat. Who knows? Um, um, yeah. Well, and also this, uh, tell me about this new book then. Can we talk about that or no? We can sure talk about that. I mean, not, not, I mean, that's not under wraps or anything, but it's like so still embryonic that, you know, it's premature to talk about it and I could all, I can decide it's all shit and throw it away in a week or six months. But it is, uh, and your, your listeners are hearing this first, um, are, it's it's uh, set in the future. I, I've been thinking for a while of writing this, a book set in the set in the America in the near-ish future. I hadn't decided exactly what that means. And I, and I started working on it, a, such a book, before I mentioned this, my idea for this book, this nonfiction book called Fantasyland that my publisher said, oh, no, do that, do that. That sounds mm -hmm. that sounds like timely. And she was right, and I did, and then I wrote another nonfiction book. So um, anyway, I was working on this book, you know, eight years ago, and and now, and, 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 and so I've been thinking about it in various iterations for a long time. So it's that, and, and it's, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but um, what you can imagine, one can imagine in 20 years, 22 years from now, when it's set, uh, how the United States might have dramatically changed, how technology might have progressed or regressed and, and all those things. So that's that's the milieu. And then it's about a it's about a marriage and some other stuff and and in that in that world and uh, so that's what it is do you uh, fantasyland was you know kind of not a very festive view of america today correct um is this well it, i mean both that book and and especially that book but also you say also it's sort of volume 2 companion book mm -hmm. evil geniuses they were not they were both you know they both could be read they are both depressing <laughs> you know they're both they're both uh discussions of 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 in the case of fantasy land what i take what i believe is americans uh chronic uh uh shakiness on on empirical truth you know and 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 reality that has always been part of the american character and and right. and and was always a great part of the American character if properly balanced with right. sanity, sense, reason, believing in science. Correct. I mean, you know, uh, Yankee ingenuity and prudence together with I can do anything. Mm -hmm. um, it worked out until then. One bit, this chronic part of it, kind of got, you know, like like a thing you have in your bloodstream that then at a certain point becomes pathological and overtakes the antibodies or whatever. And that's what happened in my view in, in, in America, you know, 30 years ago. And uh, so, yeah. So, but that's what I was going to say is 
the many reviewers of that book said, but it's but it's funny. It's you know it's this it's this grim history, but explain but but now I understand why America is so fucked up, and you know and and it and and it's and and it's the first funny history I've ever read and stuff. So. So, I mean, for, you know, it depends on your taste and, and maybe it's maybe for some people it's just too, too grim if they're Americans uh, or or if if if, you know, if if they have that combination, as I do, of like, you know, you know, comedy and tragedy are just there together. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. When you when you write um, when you wrote that two questions when you wrote fantasy and evil geniuses um was your hope for it to in terms of kind of activism to act as a cautionary tale to shake people out of their stupor like you know is there anything you want the the reader to take away or your what is your yeah. when, you write, when you go into nonfiction, kind of what yeah. is, you know what's your motivation i guess it, it, they had different motivations fantasy land was just this thing i'd thought about for a long time basically since my youth my nebraska youth in the in the 60s and early 70s when you know things didn't seem so crazy and and people you know i mean so i i just wondered how how the the kind of religion in the public sphere had exploded out of control how the 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 craziest of the protestant religions had taken over so much of protestantism how and then all these other things you know the hippie not excessive new agey hippie nonsense all these all these embraces of of the dubious and untrue in america which were all around me i've been i've been, been thinking about it for a long time and didn't find any book or scholarship or or place academic or otherwise that really explained it to me so i just i just like wow i, I this is interesting i can't figure it out and then i, I was writing a novel as I, I wrote a novel set in the much of it set in the 60s and I kind of realized, oh, that's that was that moment in America, and not just America, obviously, of the late '60s was was a milestone moment of like I can believe what I want. I don't care what those what the establishment says. Right. So it was, it was part of it. And then, I, but I, then I realized, no, it went further back, further back, further back. So that's I, I never intended to write a history. I just I started thinking about it and thinking, oh, maybe there is a book here. And so it just became a way to explain to myself, really, like, mm. what, 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 how, how did we, how did we get here? I mean, the subtitle is How America Went Haywire. And, and yeah, that. And, and so, so I wasn't trying to change anybody. I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying to do anything politically at all. And in fact, when it came out, people would say, well, you're, you're so contemptuous of certain kinds of religion. I said, yep. And you're so contemptuous of people who just aren't educated, you know, sometimes and I said, yep. And, and well, how will that ever change their minds? I said, I'm not trying to change their minds or really almost anyone's. I'm just trying to explain to the best of my ability what I think is the deal. So, so no, I had no political agenda at all. And, uh, but then, so I was writing this thing, you know, 2014, 2015, and it turned became 2016. There was Donald Trump. I was almost done. Donald Trump appears <laughs> and is is getting the nomination of the Republican Party, and embodies almost every single of my one of my major themes, right? Except crazy religion, and he just but he 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 
he whatever he he hoodwinked or convinced or otherwise engaged with the crazily religious Christian people and and got them too. So so suddenly it became more timely and political in, in this gigantic way than I ever imagined it would be. And 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 uh, so there it was. The set the the evil geniuses I sort of thought of began thinking of as I was finishing Fantasyland, and and it was. And so that was more like, okay, I've explained how the nuts came to be nutty and powerful in in this country and and how how uh, that that how that came to be a problem and how that has been politically exploited in the last for you know over the last thirty years. Evil geniuses is the other half of the story that I realized I hadn't told, which is, well, what about those rational, smart, many often rich, sometimes professorial people? Who 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 ex basically exploited all of that to get what they want politically in terms of you know more power and money and lower taxes and freedom for their corporations and all that. So that and again, not like oh I want to change the world, but I did want to, for instance, let my children and their generation know. But like, wait. You kids who were born in 1990 and have never lived in another country than the right. one we have, you should know that, like, until 1980-ish, it was different in terms of expectations of fairness and how how grotesquely rich it was okay to be, all those things. So that's that was, you know, so that was born more out of a out of an explicit, you know, didactic desire to explain to the world so that they can be good citizens hmm. um thing but you know basically i just it's things i don't really understand i mean or or no and and like certainly it was true of fashion totally but even like i i just like wow i don't i mean i have a superficial knowledge of lots of stuff you know but like it, it's like one inch deep and so let me figure out this how how the you know Right. These these economic right wingers hijacked everything. And you know, and that's what I tried to do. And so I thought people would be interested and there it is. And there they were. But who um how do you conduct your like when you were working on Fantasyland, how do you conduct your research? Like where do you begin? What are your like resources? Like what where do you go? Well, there's the internet. Um no, I mean I, I buy a lot of books and read a lot of books. Okay. Uh, and 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 you know, and, and there is the internet, you know, in a way that there wasn't when I started being a professional writer. Um, I just follow my, I, I just like, oh, okay. I, oh, and I trust. What does that even really mean? And how, what has it been? And, and, you know, I just, I give myself for both of these nonfiction books, I sort of gave myself a year, a year and a half just to kind of read and, wow. and, and, and talk to people as well. Talk to right. smart people about certain subject pieces of the subject. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was like it's like a it's like a self uh, self planned self generated like master's program you know kind right, of in, in this right, little right. subject that I decided to write about so that's what it is I I tried with that one maybe both of them but I definitely tried with Fantasyland to to like oh I I'll get a researcher to help it's never it never works for me it never I, I tried it once you prefer flying solo in that department well it's just that like the thing about research is is unless it's just here here's everything about you know the 1850 compromise or whatever it is right, right. okay but i can do that uh 
as soon as it gets to a matter of curating and choosing and picking, they're just not going to have my eyes and my yeah. brain and my like, wow, look at that thing that may not be important. It's just interesting and weird and, and telling and who knows if I'll use it or not. But so it's those kinds of things that if I didn't do it myself, I I, I, I would miss. And so well, I wouldn't. It seems like since, you know, you're not doing like a biopic. You know, you're kind of seeing where one thing leads to another. So how Correct. are you going to know what small tidbit of information is going to spark another, you know, avenue that you want to go down? A hundred percent. And and indeed, why in that, I, again, this wasn't pre, a premeditated part of it, but it's true that both of these books, especially Fantasyland, are a thing that like no legit academic professor person would actually write because it's, it, 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 it's in too many lanes at once, right? So, so whereas if something is in one lane, yeah, you can do research about that. I, you know, if it were just about, you know, history of American Protestant religion, well, okay, that, you know, would then somebody could say, bring me everything in this, in this narrower one lane, whereas it's this 10 lane thing and, and lanes come and go and get added as I go. It's just, it's also it's impossible. It's also because you have very, uh, uh, passionate opinion about it too, right? I feel like, you know, there is, I don't want to say disdain, but the disdain for people that don't believe in science or see really, you know, or like, as opposed to like a purely kind of dry account, I feel like you're not coming from there. This, you're right. It's not an academic, right? This is not a. No, and I, and I, and I, and I'm willing to be judgy. Yes. Exactly. exactly. So there, and, which makes it and, and it's not even, I, I do have disdain, but I didn't, I didn't have disdain and I don't really have disdain for them so much as individuals unless they achieve power right and or bring their nuttiness their 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 anti-science crazy religion mm -hmm. blah blah whatever it is into the public sphere i quote again and again this line that i love of thomas jefferson's that he wrote you know uh before there was the united states right uh he said i don't care so it's basically it's it's in terms of the freedom of religion, he was talking about. He said, I don't care if my neighbor believes in no God or 20 gods. As long as he doesn't pick my pocket or break my leg, okay by me. And I, to me, that is the American, that is tolerance. That is fine. That's great. But as soon as it's like, you know, they're bringing it into politics and bringing it into business, bringing it into the rest of the world, they are you know, potentially breaking my leg, figuratively and literally, if they're not following proper public health things, and, you know, picking my pocket. So so that's the problem. I mean, if they're just do their thing by themselves, I got no problem at all. With this, you know, right, with abortion, right, where it becomes like it's it's possibly a Christian belief that you're trying to, right, it's, it's something that's being trying to be imposed on other, right? I mean, even there was some rabbi who spoke about that too, right, that this whole idea. Uh, and there's a whole there's a whole suit being brought up more maybe more than one suit being brought i know in florida maybe elsewhere by jewish groups saying well this is not our religion so and and they're actually suing to you know uh uh in federal court to try to uh, uh, undo that, which is interesting yeah i mean i think i can't i don't know the specifics but i know that oh god i hear pounding Stand by. This may be happening right now. Nope. Can you hear it? No. It's that loud. Jesus. It's like a tortoise. Just pounding. Did you mic the door? 
that I think that Judaism believes uh, that the well-being of the mother uh, trans, you know, supersedes the whatever, like if it's going to do any detriment. And what does that mean, of course, is subjective, but Judaism is all about arguments and nothing is cut and dry and everything can be debated, which is, I guess, the beauty of it, too, but makes it challenging, you know, great that it's not dogma, but it's a... That's a whole other thing. Anyway, question. So how long, uh, this was something that just dawned on me as we were speaking. How long did you have um, your show on WNYC? 20 years. 20. Uh, just slightly less than 20 years, but basically 20 years. Are you writing more now that you're not doing the show? You have much more time? It's a good question. Um, the last couple of three years when I, you know, with the, well, a thing that made me realize, eh, I should, this, I, we probably reached the end of this chapter theme thing that I do uh when I realized that more and more that the the show as much as I still liked it and tried to do my best often felt like a distraction from writing books finishing a screenplay you know I mean right. the other things that I actually was doing all the time but like I I, I finally felt like it was it was it it took second position to me and my and so like wow if I if I if if I don't love this child equally anymore, then it's probably time to kill it, you know, to to make a grotesque uh, no, metaphor. No, kill your baby. But so um, so uh, yeah, I so I was I was always you know juggling all these things at once. But 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 so I do have more time. I worry sometimes that I have I have uh, instead of <laughs> of using that time as productively as I was looking forward to when I didn't have this obligation anymore. I just, it's more time to fuck off. And, 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 you know, when you have this show and, and, and you have a book and it's due at a certain point and other stuff going on, that, that concentrates the mind and like, okay, it's 7.30 a.m. I better be working. Okay. I, it's one o'clock. I got to go do this show. So it, it, it was this, it was this, you know, discipline enforcer, uh, but yes, uh, it's nice to have my my brain, my my professional brain, be able to have this be 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 consumed by this one thing of this one book, rather than having to toggle back and forth all every day. Do you? First of all, I think you're extremely prolific. So I don't know what you're talking about. about eh. off. Every book you put out is like it's it's epic. It's not like oh, I wrote a novella. Um, yeah, but there's several. They, they come several years apart. So yeah, but still. Do you miss, I mean, I find when I was doing my podcast, I, now it's very sporadic, but when I was doing my weekly podcast, sometimes I'd have two, three guests a week, I found speaking obviously with artists that I admire or, you know, to be inspiring and motivating and um, nurture, you know, like it fed me in a way. And I feel like, you know, I'm still writing a lot. I'm getting a lot more done, but it's much more self-generated in a way. Do you know what I mean? I'm not... The insights, and I listen to some podcasts, but it's not the same as when you're actually conducting the podcast and, you know, you're the one asking the questions. Do you miss that at all? Or do you feel like you would have wanted once in a while to kind of get into an interview of someone that you truly, you know, that blows your mind and, and feed off of that? Or that's not really a... I mean, I, I, I always had, I always felt as though the other things I was doing, being a, being a, you know, design critic and doing this and doing this, or doing the radio show, doing this, doing this, all this, all the stuff. I often felt, regularly felt that they fed each other, and they did. To the to your yeah. point, um, but um, no, I don't really feel as though 
I, I mean, I maybe loss, a small loss here and there, but I really feel like the net is positive in, in, in that I'm not losing that much. And, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm just like sitting and, you know, right. you're not in a bubble staring at the sky, yeah. you know, I mean, um, uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, other things make me think of things and, you know, so no, not so much. Okay. Um, um, and and I really honestly, I mean, I I had never, you know, I'd done some journalism before I started the radio show. I had done journalism, before, but I never was that much of an interviewer. And so it was fun and 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 good and yeah. and gratifying to learn how to do that decently. But uh, but then at a certain point, like okay, I like this, and it turns out I'm I I can be good at it, but. Uh, I'm okay, you know, not doing it much anymore. And I, I did, I, I, I did a couple of podcasts. One which was interviews, and that was fun mm -hmm. last year. And uh, it was, a, a, you know, a discreet yeah, yeah. six episode thing. And then I did this other one that was entirely different, which was a highly researched documentary, basically a seven hour documentary about Nick Richard Nixon. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I just I presented, I wrote it, and. Right. And did it, presented it, right? And uh, that was super fun. And that was a totally different thing. And my hand, I was more hands-on with that, really, in the nitty-gritty of it than I'd ever been with the radio show. Uh, and and those were both good. But I, but it, and and I was and I was like, wow, it's nice to be back in this saddle. And and occasionally lately, I've done interviews with like friends of mine who have books and want me to interview them on stage and stuff like that. Okay. And and and. And that's a that's fun because I I I haven't been I don't I'm not doing it every week yeah. right and so it's like wow we're special I still I still know how to ride that bike you know so yeah. but no, I don't miss it fun. no I remember doing that live show with you at the Skirball Center do you remember that right yeah in L A no in Los Angeles right yeah it was in L A because uh, there's a Skirball Center of course in New York oh, City well, as well. There, yeah, I'm sure there's Skirballs there. uh, yes I remember that as well. What if if I decide this is a silly question again? This sounds like a cliche question. I don't think I've ever asked anyone. Where do you get your ideas? Anyone yeah. that you uh, interviewed in all your twenty years that you could interview again? Is there anybody that you wanted you want to interview again, for whatever reason? Um, well, there were a few people I interviewed of, uh, more than once, in addition to uh, this actress writer I know, Reese Park. Um, <laughs> but there were a few, and 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 uh, you know, if we had a particularly good rapport and, or or whatever there i enjoyed i enjoyed doing that you know there were i don't know there maybe maybe a half dozen or maybe not even a handful of people i did multiple times and that was super fun maybe i can't think of it i mean mostly i just feel like wow i i was i was so i am so grateful to have done that i'm so grateful to have talked to yes. susan sontag for an hour a couple of years before she died, you know, I'm so great, you know, and then weird ones too. I'm just like Matthew McConaughey. That was super fun, but I don't want to talk to him again. Really? <laughs> I mean, it's like a first date, but I don't want to date him or marry him. He's you know, Instagram enough spouting out. Well, exactly. Brilliant life hacks, you know, with the cowboy hat on and his gorgeous wife. Did you, you interviewed Werner Herzog, didn't you? Uh, well, he, he he I did twice, and he yeah, was fantastic. I and I and he's that. a guy. I'm like, yes, that was Kurt. That was Kurt. Yes. No, I did. And he's. I, I really thought, and I thought about saying, I sort of reaching out to him after the second one and saying, uh, "Mr. Herzog, do you you want to do a podcast with me?" I thought that would be super fun to just <laughs> the two of us doing a podcast. I if somebody came to me now and said, "Hey, you want to do this podcast with 
Werner Herzog, I don't know, 10 times a year or just 10 times and that's it? I, I would say yes immediately. He's he's a gas. He's a little detail wants to fly. Yes. You know, I did for a while, I did those, what is master classes, and his was my favorite. Really? Uh, yeah, because yeah, he, he was just, you know, he's one of those like, you know, throw out all the rules. But he in terms of writing, he recommended reading a, a book about what was it like a peregrine falcon? I don't remember. It was like this this small book that was just about observing this this bird. And I was like, wow. And I ended up buying the book. Like, you know, I, I went down that path. And, you know, besides this kind of very not mellifluous, I think it's the antithesis of mellifluous, but his yeah. cadence, there's something so distinct about it that you just kind of like, you just feel smarter listening to him. You're like, I am in totally. the presence of greatness, even if he would be talking about, I don't know, Clorox, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. yeah. The, the last time I interviewed him, I, I did, uh, two, two things happened that made me just fall more deeply in love with him. One was <laughs> he said that he loved, I, I love this, I can't, I won't do the German accent. But he that he that he loves watching funny cat videos. <laughs> Who doesn't? And and I said, like, what one? And and he said, Oh, this one of you where he's playing the piano. And so I so I, I started looking these up and, and and we played him for him and just like Werner Herzog talking about I, I love the cat interview cat videos on the uh, funny cat videos on the internet was I just loved. And and uh then we played for him, oh, this uh uh this this parody of him by Paul Tompkins, Paul F. Tompkins. Mm -hmm. He's a comedian in LA. Yeah, I know, I love him. He did, he did this great parody of him, uh, I guess, giving a review to a Trader Joe's, I think it was, or something. <laughs> it was it was hilarious. Played it for him, and he 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 hadn't heard it, which was fantastic. Yes. And and he loved it, and he he, la he genuinely laughed and got it. And so the fact that he, he gets his, you know, why people... Right. Uh, do funny parodies of him. It made me love him even more. Yeah. Does, I wonder, I mean, I, I'm sure he has kids or maybe grandkids at this point, but, you know, I always wonder, what are the kids like? Because if they're not going into the, you know, filmmaking or entertainment industry, I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, what are the offspring of these very... Yes. I don't want to say... Yes, have you met my son? He's an actuary? Yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> Who are you? It's 11.05 here. It's uh, it's 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 late as we're as well. We're, it's four oh five here. Uh, I get up at five a.m. By the way, for no reason every day. Huh? When does your kid wake up? Um. Well, now he wakes. I have to wake him up. When he was a baby, he'd wake up. But sure. I literally cannot sleep um more than four or five hours, and it's it's killing me. It's been like this for forever. Really? If I, yeah. If I go to bed like early, like at ten, then I'll wake up at three in the morning. Um. But I bought a Fitbit. Here's a Fitbit to track my sleep, because I guess you're supposed to, you know what I mean? So now I just get more nervous, because now I feel like hypervigilant, like, oh, God, my heart rate. Oh, my oxygen level. You know what I mean? It's like being in the ER all day long. And it's like, oh, OK. But they give you little awards when you walk 10,000 steps. There's like a little tune. Yeah. Um, I feel like an I feel like a AARP contender with this. But oh, I, well, so but this was this is not a thing. You know, that happened to you over 40 or something, this not sleeping? No, it happened when I, I think it happened when I had my son, because then my sleep really got disrupted. But I think I've always been hypervigilant, so I never really slept <clears throat> too deeply, especially like living in L.A., in a house, alone. You know what I mean? I remember um, when I lived in New York, I slept better just because I was right. like, in a building with other people. But in L.A., you know, like you're literally... Is that you, Charlie Manson, that I hear out there? Yeah, but I remember the, um, I moved into my house... 
and it's you know you, you've been to my house right like amidst Lovely modern, and it's you know all glass so you feel very exposed right you feel very vulnerable but i moved in and i'm like oh, i'm from the bronx i can handle this and the guy i hired a guy uh to put an alarm system in and instead of saying this will make you safe all he talked about were all the murders and home invasions and rapes in the neighborhood I'm like, I already hired you to put the alarm in. Like, you don't have to sell this to me. Like, you know, he literally was like, yeah, and the home invasion, a block down, and a woman got raped. I'm like, can we not? <laughs> it's just like, maybe people don't get that. You don't, you don't do that. Men don't get, you don't say that. You know what I mean? But that was through my head. So I don't think I slept soundly. One time there was huh. a mountain lion in the backyard also. That was fun. So sometimes, you know, once you kind of hear that, it's hard to just really relax. Yeah. I've never, that's never been a problem for me. Um, yeah. But. You know, um, but I'll bring that guy over to scare you. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. You know, Upper East Side. Who knows what's happening on on Lex? I know. Well, I know it's. It feels so safe where we are now that Anne sometimes like, like fails to lock the door. I said, okay, I know there's a doorman, but and there's all that, but like, let's lock the door. <laughs> We're in New York City. You know. Is Anne from Nebraska as well, or Minnesota? Where is she? Uh, she from? From those of you who've never been in the middle of America, yes. she might as well be. No, she's from uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, from Kansas City. So four hours south. Is it four hours south? Yeah. I'm actually very curious about Kansas City, both of them. I, I do. I, I want to go. One day. Yeah. One day I'll make it. No, Kansas City is fine. I mean, I actually prefer, and if I had to choose, not just because I grew up there, would rather live in Omaha, than Kansas City. But yeah, no, Kansas City is nice and it's got some nice things. Okay. Well, so when can we expect this new book? Well, it's due. It's contractually due, I believe, next March. So I if if I if I make that, then maybe, you know, late twenty twenty four, possibly. Yay. And the Soderbergh series? That show, uh, you know, soon-ish. I mean, you know, I don't know, uh, this year, certainly. And I, I don't know if I, I would, I hope that I would like to say this spring, but maybe this okay, spring. We'll have to wait till it comes out so I can talk to you about it, because now... Yes, and I'd love to talk to you about it when, when it does that. Since, vague, since, like, how since, was working with Stephen? It was working. <laughs> uh, it was great. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was... Well, that's a whole conversation. It was uh, it was illuminating in many ways. What was what was something that like your take? You know, well, just you know, to figure out how to be such a close collaborator, right? It's not like we were working through agents or with other right. people or through a studio. It was, a fan it was of just book, the two yeah. of us figuring this thing out and writing this thing, and 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 again, it was a thing. Of, it was like, oh, it wasn't. There was no precedent for what it was. We were mm. we were making it up as one does with everything, but also making up what it is. So it was intense. The just, the, you know, and we, we slightly knew each other for years, but didn't know each other well. And so it was a whole new level of, I won't say intimacy exactly, but something that required working together, you know? Right. So, and when and, you were on and, set, uh, when no. you were on set, did you kind of take a step back or did you feel comfortable, you know, speaking up artistically on... Oh, on I did, I know I I said almost nothing on set. Uh, I you know because I I realized that like I I was they were allowing the schmuck with the Underwood, as they say, to be on set at all, and and to actually when I thought like oh that line is really not that after I would let him know that mm -hmm. you know maybe once a day at most, 
and uh and and you know and 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 so i was i i was able to have input but no i didn't say <laughs> i didn't barge in and, you know and i and i was because they were all such small uh, locations almost every time i was on just headphones in another room altogether you know, got so. it okay oh right was he is he also a midwestern guy kind of a soft-spoken midwestern uh he is could might as well be midwestern he actually grew up in uh shreveport or baton Rouge. anyway in, in in northern louisiana where his parents his father was a uh academic i remember i met Stephen a few times and one thing i remember is one time we had dinner and every time i'd get up to go to the bathroom he would stand up and that was like that southern you know kind of upbringing i was like at first i was like what's happening <laughs> But I realized, oh, wow, because that never happens in Israel. That's yeah. Well, and what's funny is, of course, he doesn't, he doesn't, there's nothing about him, except that's interesting. But otherwise, no, no outward affect that makes him seem Southern in right. any fashion. Right. But no, yeah, definitely yeah. a reserved, definitely not an effusive, emotionally effusive, hey, hon, come over for, for mid juleps. None of that. But I'm just saying it was just almost like a reflex. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Something like, I'm yeah. going to do this now. I was like, oh, okay. And we're down and we're up. And we're down. I was like, this is delightful. I could do this all night. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy we got to talk, Kurt. Oh, I am too. And and, to and, and thank you for, for doing it so late in order to accommodate. Of course. Of course. My quasi late. In, uh, in the next decade when it comes out. And, Which? Um, I said, I'm happy. Yes. I'm excited to read your book in the next decade. Oh, I can't out. wait for you to. Yeah. No, I, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's still in, I mean, you know, there's still moments of what am I doing? But mostly at this early stage, it's still like, okay, this could still be really good. You know, the the, the bounce of what have I done? What am I doing? <laughs> are not yet. That usually doesn't happen to me until, you know, like halfway through. So are you taking yourself out of your comfort zone with this? I uh, I, yes and no. I mean, I, each of the books I've done, novels and these nonfiction books are things I have never done. So, so, so it, again, it's not consciously, oh, let me set up this obstacle course of writing a novel in a new way. Right. But I end up doing that. I, I end up doing things that in some fundamental ways I hadn't done before, you know. Um, so, you know, I mean, that said, I could also, as I said to Anne the other night, like, oh, this part of this, story i just realized is the same thing that i did in this you know so yes you you one writes the same thing over and over but i wouldn't yeah, sure out of my comfort zone just in a kind of formal technical way of the voices and how it's being done and who who the characters some of the characters are and stuff like that did by the way i was white noise oh i haven't seen it yet i want to i love the book yeah i Have saw I, I saw it i don't know <laughs> i really love i know book, yeah obviously. i know i know I know people who've had, you know, who've liked it and not. Yeah, I think I don't mind reading. I, I, I mean, I love the book. I don't mind reading a book and not emotionally caring for the characters. I don't mind. I can still enjoy a book tremendously without. It's hard for me to enjoy kind of a character driven film when I'm not emotionally invested in any of the characters where it becomes an mean. idea. I don't mind so much characters as idea on the page, but it's hard for me. And then I hear you. No, a, I know that's funny, isn't it? About you know, about... like a cerebral, not self indulgent, but more like yeah. It just seems like uh, I'm like really, you know. 
and if it's like let's say yeah i don't know if it's if it has other redeeming qualities maybe but it was challenging for me and the actors yeah. are all great like that's not an issue but yeah i didn't know how to i don't know how to kind of as we say in hebrew eat that up does that make sense yeah well on the other hand then there's the fablemans which i heard. i didn't like the fablemans <laughs> me neither and one. like and like well and, and I'm, I'm saying it, it has the opposite problem in a way of like yes Every character is so human and likable, suppose yes. you know. Yes. But it was just like every every choice was like, oh yeah, that's the choice there. Okay, that's how you do that. Oh, that's how you show bullies. That's how you. It was just like, why, why? I mean, I get it. He's Steven Spielberg. He's done lots of great things. He's talented. But like, if 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 Maeve Mellenberg made that movie, I mean, nobody would even pay it. Know it. I mean, it, it was like percent. nothing. A thousand percent. For me, yeah, no, I, I agree. And when people, people that I know, they're actually really cynical and salty loved it. I'm like, what is going on? Like, what am I not getting here? It felt very performative and almost like a stage play from the 50s. You know what I mean? Correct. Just, I couldn't, I'm like, I don't, I don't believe a, a minute of this. I just, you know, and it was, and I love my, like, it was just, you know, and the, but I'm like, it just didn't, I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. And yes, I mean, yes, Michelle Williams is a really, really good actor and all, all of the actors were fine and it was beautiful looking and all, all of the craft, not, nothing to complain about except the yes. writing by the brilliant Tony Kushner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it felt very by the numbers in a very kind of ABC after school special kind of way. And I was like, huh. But I get frustrated because I'm like, what when when there's such a consensus? Yeah, it does feel like it's everybody's just writing that. Oh, it's you, you're right. It's you know, uh, what would happen if we didn't know who the director was? How do we? I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, films without knowing. Did you like Tar? I have mixed feelings about Tar. I I I, I liked it. I I'm glad I saw it. And certainly, it doesn't suffer from the problem that you say yeah. you say um, uh, white noise does. I mean, you know, I I. I mean, she's a she's another amazing actress that I will watch do anything. Yeah, and it, she and she's great. Um, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I I I I liked it with some things about it, but yeah, yeah, yeah I I actually enjoyed. It. I was prepared not to. Um, you know, my dad, who is a classical music fanatic, and you know, an opera also, and he was so excited to see this film. And he, he was so, this poor guy he called me angry. <laughs> it's not for his, you know what I mean? For his style, his taste, you know, he's like 86. I think he wanted more of the, by the numbers than, than this was, or wasn't what he was expecting. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I didn't care about that. Like, yeah, it's a cold character and, but I found yeah, it. I, 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 I found it interesting. And I was, no, I agree. I agree. Window into something that I was not expecting it was surprising to me. I didn't know what was going to happen next, which yeah. was nice within the scene, within the minute, which I think is a testament. The final act, I it went in such a whack, and I know that maybe it was all in her mind. You know, I'm reading about like maybe that it was all you know fret, figment of my imagination. It's don't take it literally, but I, I usually love him. Like I loved Little Children. I I love Todd Field's movies. Yeah, no, I, I he's good. You know, I agree. Um, I've seen Little Children a few times. Like, I, I, I really love that film. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. But you're right. It is one of those, like, I could care less if, you know, you want to kind of root a little bit. You want to root, you know, but it's, but she gets away yeah. kind of getting a little simpatico for her, but but not really. No, exactly. No, she was mainly just fascinated. No, but, but again, I mean, 
But it's it's interesting. It's probably worth a whole other conversation. But now I got to go and call back this person who I just remembered who was calling me who I said I'd talk to at four o'clock. It you know it's it's one of those cases where a character like she plays Tar in in a novel, great. I mean, there'd be no issue with her how unlikable yes, she is yeah. at all. You yeah. know, I don't need someone that like you can you can still root for a villain even. But you know, yes. but when they're when they become so icy that they are sociopathic. You know what I mean? Where it's then it's and you see a little bit of her humanity, but not really. Yeah. Anyway, all right, I'll let you go. I'm going to go all right. watch the other nine season, the episodes of Fauda. And, okay. Um, and I and imagine which here. what role you'd play. Yes. <laughs> She's coming in coordinates. Take her. Yeah. We have <laughs> we have a Gabby. We have a Moti. That's it. That's it. <laughs> all righty. Love you, Kurt. Um, I love you too. Love you know when this posts. And- Please. All right, I'll talk to you. Thanks. It was a pleasure, as ever. Yeah.